0: Father, we thank you for this holy night. We celebrate the birth of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. So we ask you now, Father, by your Holy Spirit to come among us and to bring home to our hearts the reality of the promise and the hope of Christmas that is found in Christ. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts Be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. We may be seated. Again, welcome everyone. So glad that you've joined us tonight for one of our three services. We had a wonderful five o'clock service with our children's program and um, lots of fun with that. Little lambs and stars and shepherds and angels running around. There were even some feathers on the floor up here afterwards. And, um, but they did a wonderful job. And um, good evening to everyone watching via the live stream again as well. We are so glad that you've joined us. Um, just as a reminder to all of you that we will be here again tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. for our Christmas morning service with um, Holy Eucharist. And then next Sunday, for our services of lessons and carols with Holy Eucharist at 10 a.m. as well, and we'd love to have you join us. In his book, written in 2020, entitled "Searching for Christmas," author and pastor J.D. Greer makes the following observations: Christmas is the season of choice. If you want to buy a food processor, Amazon offers you 2,000 types. Or how about a drill? There are more than 40,000 options. No, I'm not making those numbers up. Choices can be glorious and confusing and empowering and overwhelming all at the same time. And in the Western world today, it looks as though it's the same with God. There's a huge array of deities to choose from, including the no to all option. Walk through an airport or shopping mall anywhere, and you will be walking past countless people who believe in no God, Plenty of people who believe that there are many gods and another great multitude who believe in one God but who have very different thoughts on what that one God is like and what he or she or it thinks. For some, God is kind of a distant grandfather guy looking down benevolently and wanting us to be happy. To others, God is a harsh taskmaster, counting up your good and bad actions and weighing up whether he's going to have mercy on you in the end. To others, God is an impersonal force that wound up the universe and is now off doing other stuff while we get on with it down here. To others, God is the universe. There are so many options to choose from. It's empowering and overwhelming at the same time. How do you know? How can you choose? And what does it matter? Isaiah's claim was that the baby who would be born at the first Christmas would be mighty God. For all that Israel needed, for all that they lacked, for all that they could never be in themselves, they had God, the great I am, the mighty God, a purifying, ever-present, shepherding, providing, healing, and defending God. Advent and Christmas are certainly seasons that are full of choices. What gifts will I buy for those whom I love? Do the lights we used on our house for the past few years look okay? Or do we need a new look? Or maybe just some more lights? Or in the case with us this year, a third of the lights we bought last year, brand new, didn't light this year, no matter what you did with the bulbs and the fuses and all that stuff. And they're going in the trash again. Or is that Christmas sweater in the closet that Aunt Sally gave me okay to wear Or is it just too ugly to everywhere beyond the confines of my own house? Will we buy a live tree or use an artificial one? And for those of you who may not have a regular church home, and by the way, we would love to have you join us on Sundays here. Where will we go to church on Christmas Eve? And what will we wear to church? Now, My options were a little bit more limited than most of yours. I had a choice of two different black suits and (laughs) black shirts or a white shirt with French cuffs that you wear black over top of. (laughs) Now, much of what I've mentioned is silly, and that's intentionally so. But Christmas, the birth of Jesus Christ, was certainly filled with choices for a whole host of people in the biblical account. Choices, critical, life-transforming choices, that confronted people both then and now. And those choices determine the trajectory of the rest of their lives on earth and into eternity. Our reading tonight of the account of the birth of Christ in St. Luke's gospel is filled with people making choices. The innkeeper, although the innkeepers never actually mentioned, made room in a stable for Joseph and Mary. Verse 7 of Luke chapter 2 says, Because there was no place for them in the inn, and all the inferences about the innkeeper are drawn from that one clause in one verse. I've seen Christmas pageants where the innkeeper was sympathetic and very apologetic for the situation. Others where the innkeeper was very gruff and off-putting. The reality is we have no idea what the innkeeper was like. We just know that there was no place for them in the inn, and the innkeeper offered Joseph and Mary a stable then we have the shepherds who heard the announcement by the angel who told them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. We read that the shepherds, in response to the angel's announcement, chose to go to Bethlehem. And they went with haste. With a sense of urgency, then, in great joy and excitement, they chose after they had seen what the Lord had brought to pass to glorify and praise God for all they had seen and heard. A number of years ago, for quite a few years, when we still lived in Harford County, Maryland, and actually before I even went to seminary or had met Tammy, my wife, um, there was a wonderful godly man in Harford County named Bernie Schwartz, who's with the Lord now. He was a farmer. And every year at Christmas time, usually the Saturday before Christmas, he would open his barn up and he would hold Christmas in a barn with a living nativity and the Christmas story read and a guest speaker to come and preach, to share the gospel with people in his community. And for a lot of years, I um, was one of the shepherds from probably when I was in college all the way through young adulthood until. I moved away to go to seminary, And and now I will tell you I can remember some cold Christmas eves. I remember one night, very much like what we have right now, it was five degrees, and it was really cold in that barn. I don't care if you were sitting on straw or not; it was really, really cold. But when when the the Luke the narrative from Luke was read, and the shepherds. Glorified and praised God for all they had seen and heard. The shepherds, we were all supposed to go out among the people praising God and glorifying God and saying to the people, The Messiah has come, the Savior is born. Well, one of the, the younger guys who was probably, who's now in his 40s, but was probably late middle school age at the time, we're, were going down through the aisle and saying that and all of a sudden John hollers out, He is risen. <laughs> <laughs> And then all the shepherds could do was make a bolt to the back of the barn and not lose it before we got out the back door. (laughs) But there were others who made choices as well, many of them not quite as noble. In the account of Christ's birth and the ensuing events in Matthew's gospel, we read of the response of King Herod and the religious leaders in Jerusalem. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means last among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Herod and these religious leaders also made a choice. Instead of rejoicing in what God was doing in their day, and aligning their hearts and lives with this, they were troubled, as Scripture records. And Herod began in his wickedness to plot and scheme. The religious leaders were complicit in all of this, despite the fact that they of all people knew that the prophet Micah, even as quoted here in Matthew, had foretold that the Christ, the Messiah, was to be born in Bethlehem. And then sometime later, maybe a few months, possibly Even a year or two later, the Magi came. And instead, Herod sent the Magi, rather than going himself, sent the Magi who had inquired of him. He sent them on to Bethlehem and asked them to return to him with details. But the Magi, after being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, made the return route by another trip. So here we even have the Magi making a choice. But neither Herod nor the religious leaders chose to go to Bethlehem, despite it being less than six miles from Jerusalem. When I was growing up at my grandparents' house, my grandfather had given my sister me this this big magnet to play with. It was about this wide, this tall, about this thick, big horseshoe-shaped magnet. And I kept it in a paint can at their house, and there were old nails and pieces of junk in there, and you could play with it as a kid. But there was also another smaller magnet that I kept in that can. And if you put the magnets one way, they pulled together and really stuck. But if you turn the magnet the other way, with the polarity, there was nothing you could do to push those magnets together. They repelled one another. And it's very much like that with Christ's birth. For those open to God's working, they were drawn in. They were drawn to the glorious and wonderful things that God was doing. But for those like Herod who were absorbed with their own self-serving motives and their desire to hold on to temporal power, they were opposed and repelled even by what God was doing in sending his son because it seemed a a threat to them and they wanted no part of it. For the shepherds, the Magi, Herod, and the religious leaders in Jerusalem. What God was doing required choices on their part. Most importantly, when we talk about choices, Christmas is about the choices that God in his infinite and divine wisdom and providence has made. Choices which God has made out of his great love and mercy. And we read of this in the third chapter of St. John's Gospel, very familiar verses, verses that remind us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Friends, think of it. The depth And the riches of the love and mercy of God. That Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, left all the glories of heaven and came to earth to save us from our sin and from all of our mess. That through Him, you and I can be saved. We can have eternal life, new life in God. We can have freedom and deliverance. God loves you and me that much. Even as British hymn writer Emily Elliot penned in the 19th century, thou didst leave thy throne and thy kingly power when thou camest to earth for me. God in his mercy sent his eternal son from the glories of heaven to earth in human flesh and blood, not only to be born, but to live a sinless life and then to give up that life for my sin and your sin so that we might live in the fullness and joy of a restored relationship with God and know eternal life through him. We have a tradition in our family that actually was introduced to us by a, a dear, dear friend, actually one of my wife's very best friends. And on our Christmas tree every year, the first ornament that goes on is this. It's a a rusty spike style nail. And we put that on the tree first because it reminds us at Christmas that Jesus came not only to be born as a baby in Bethlehem, but the purpose of him coming and being born was to die on a cross for your sin and for my sin. Now, when we back up in the gospel accounts of Jesus' birth, There are two final choices that I think we need to ponder. Those are the choices which Mary and Joseph made, and I've left them for last very intentionally. There was no precedent, no earthly human frame of reference for what was happening in their lives. What was happening to them is unique in all of human time and history. When the angel announced to Mary a young, pure undefiled virgin that she was with child her response was this i am the servant of the lord let it be unto me according to your word and a little later in luke 1 she she proclaimed my soul magnifies the lord and my spirit rejoices in god my savior likewise in matthew chapter 1 after an angel of the lord appeared to him in a dream Joseph took Mary as his wife. Remember, other than a few people like Mary's cousin Elizabeth, no one else had this inside information about what God was doing at that time. For most of the people around Joseph and Mary, this would have appeared scandalous. And they were at risk of lifelong reproach in the community. But Mary and Joseph both made profound godly choices. In the midst of seemingly tumultuous circumstances, despite all the risk that this involved from an earthly perspective, they chose to trust God and believe what he had promised to them. Now, our circumstances and the world we live in are incredibly different in so many ways. And yet the human condition really is no different. And friends, we too are called to make choices. Our reading from the letter of Titus this evening really frames the choices we are called by God or invited by God to make. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. I think that poses the question for you and me tonight. Can you and I trust God? Can we trust his goodness and loving kindness like Mary and Joseph did. Can we trust him knowing that he loves you and me so incredibly much that he sent his son to save us and give us life? Can we trust him so much with that knowledge that we put our lives and our futures in his hands? As we conclude, I want to reread the end of the J.D. Greer quote that I began with. There are so many options to choose from. It's empowering and overwhelming at the same time. How do you know? How can you choose? And what does it matter? It indeed can be overwhelming. Voices all around us clamor for our attention and our loyalties. Voices that often tell us falsehoods. How do we know and how can we choose? We know by this record of the heart of God and of his incredible love and kindness to us, his love and kindness to us, his mercy to us, which is the essence of Christmas. Again, the words from John 3, 16 and 17 that I read earlier, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life for god did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that, but in order that the world through him might be saved we can know because god has shown us and demonstrated to us his heart in jesus christ and how can we choose We can choose again, quoting from St. John's Gospel, chapter 1. He came to his own, referring to Jesus, and his own did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. By God's grace and mercy, but God's love extended to us, we can indeed choose to believe in his name in the name of Jesus and to become God's children. And finally, what does it matter? It matters because all of life, both now and for all eternity, hinges on the choices we make in this matter, just like it did for those people we've talked about in the biblical record. And God calls you and me God invites us. God welcomes us to ask Christ, this babe of Christmas who grew and lived a sinless life and died and rose for you and me. God invites us and calls us to open our lives to him, to experience his life, to experience his peace, his peace that passes understanding, to know his joy that is not tethered to the circumstances of this world, and to walk with him whom to know is life eternal. That is what God invites us to choose this Christmas. Let us pray. Father, how grateful we are for your grace and your love and your mercy that you sent Jesus, the eternal Son of God, your eternal Son, at just the right time to live and die for us. And Lord, in choosing, it's simply an act of responding to what you have already done in your grace and mercy on our behalf. So tonight, Father, I pray for each of us, whether it be for the very first time, or whether it be, a reaffirmation time and time again of your mercy and love toward us, that we would choose you, that we would choose Jesus, and that we would choose to know him and walk with him who is our deliverer, who alone is our savior, the one to to whom to know is life eternal. Will you grant this, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.